church. If you would stand as we read God's Word, our passage today is Mark <clears throat> chapter 14, verses 32-42. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The Spirit is indeed willing but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping? Take your rest. It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. God's word. Please be seated. <clears throat> well, Ben and I have been on a series called The Journey to the Cross, and so we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 14, and today's title is Between a Rock and a Hard Place. And verse 32 says this, And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. Have you ever had a place, just a place that you enjoy going a special place that you can just go and catch your breath. You can just breathe. Maybe just clear your head. Maybe just hear yourself think. A place of silence and solitude. That's what Gethsemane was for Jesus. It was a place that he enjoyed going. He went often with his disciples. It was a retreat. It was located on the Mount of Olives, just east of the city of Jerusalem. Gethsemane is called the oil press. It's mentioned in 2 Samuel chapter 15 for the first time when David flees from his son who's coming to take and kill him. It's mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 11 when God's Spirit leaves the city of Jerusalem and it says it moves out to the east mountain. That's the Mount of Olives. It is there where Jesus wept over Jerusalem and cried because Jerusalem would not repent. And Zechariah chapter 14 says, On the day that Christ returns, His feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem to the east, and the mountain shall split in two from east to west. Gethsemane is a very important place to Jesus. Adam had made a decision in a garden the worst decision in human history. 
that would affect us more than we could ever imagine. And now Jesus, the second Adam, would make a decision to rectify all that. Gethsemane, the old press. We all know that life can be an old press, right? An olive press is where they take the olives and they press and they squeeze and they mash until all the oil runs out. That's how life can be, right? A place of intense squeezing. Overwhelming pressure. Immense stress. A place where we become so flooded and so inundated by our feelings that we feel like life is being pressed from our souls. Often our world can seem that way if we're honest with ourselves. Almost like a room where the oxygen has been snatched from the room. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to the oil press? Have you ever been to that place where you're just like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. Some good friends of mine, Brad and Jamie Martin, back in the late 80s, <clears throat> Brad was around a 27-year-old pastor that tremendously impacted my life. One Saturday morning, he woke up and his three-month-year-old was dead in the crib. The oil press. So heavy that you can't breathe. You don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. Jesus was there in Gethsemane. He was there in the oil press. When no one else in the world can understand your oil press, no one else in the world can understand the stress of losing a child, of a marriage gone bad. Jesus has been in the oil press. The weight and the heaviness, the sorrow and the despair that really literally feels like the life is being pressed out of you. passage that we read is our call to worship, Hebrews chapter 4. We have a Savior. We have a Savior who has been where we've been. We've all been our oil press. What would Jesus do there? What would He say? How would he respond? How would he make his journey to the cross? Would he be overconfident, Peter? Right, Peter, Jesus, I'll never deny you. Would he be passive, Adam? Right, standing in the garden, passively watching his wife be tempted. Would he be John Mark, the coward, right, fleeing? naked in the garden, afraid, running. Or maybe he would respond like David, great King David, right? As he left the city of Jerusalem in disgrace as Absalom came 
to take his throne. Or maybe he'd be like Israel. Maybe he would run to another Savior. Maybe run down to Egypt looking for help. No, Jesus would do none of that. He would pray. He would pray. He would bring his closest friends around him and he would pray. There's a good lesson to learn here in being a good friend. Just like Job, Jesus did not need the disciples' advice. He did not need their counsel. All he needed was that they be with him. You know, church, there's a good lesson to learn as people go through suffering. You don't have to know all the answers. You just need to be there. You just need to be with them. You just need to be present. Jesus didn't even ask them to pray. He just said, be with me. Watch and be with me. As Jesus prayed, he prayed not like many of us prayed. He was humble. He was honest. He was raw. He was vulnerable. He poured out his heart. He let his friends in on his suffering, his struggles. Not like us, right? We often hide and pretend and, yeah, it's okay, no big deal. Just struggling a little bit. Not Jesus. I'm heavy. I'm struggling, guys. This is the Son of God. This is the creator of the world. Brings his friends in close and says, this is a battle. Would you be with me? Would you watch with me? Do you feel the freedom to approach God that way? With that raw emotion of God, this is more than I can handle? Do you feel freedom to live before your friends that way and just say, hey, I don't have it all together. In fact, I'm just struggling to breathe right now. You know, it's okay to live that way as Christians. You know, growing up, one of the things that, was a, that I caught that was just not at all like Christ is that you had to always have it all together. That's not Christianity. Christianity is, I'm a mess. And I need my friends, the church, to help me get through life when I can't breathe. That's where Jesus is in the garden. That's where Jesus is in the old press. And one of the things that I've learned from doing this internship with Evangelize Today is that good friends and good evangelists have these things in common. They know how to be present with people. They know how to be still. They know how to listen. And they know how to watch and pray with those they're ministering to. Do you hear in that? They don't have to have the right answers. See, many of us think to be a good evangelist that we have to know all the right answers, and you really don't. To be a good friend, you don't need all the right answers. You just need to be present, and you need to be still, and you need to listen. Verse 35 says, Going a little further, he fell on the ground, and he prayed that if it were possible that this hour might pass from him. You see, in every war, there's a decisive battle that shifts the tide of the whole war. In 1781, 
General Washington cornered Cornwallis at the Battle of Yorktown. In 1815, Napoleon was met by Lord Wellington at the Battle of Waterloo. In 1863, the tides of the Civil War turned at Vicksburg. And in 1944, the Battle of Normandy, the U.S. troops took Europe back from a madman. Gethsemane was that turning point in human history. Sure, it was the cross and Christ's resurrection, but it was Gethsemane where Jesus set his face to the cross and never looked back. You see, up until this point, there had been no prophet, no priest, no king that was worthy to drink the cup that Christ was about to drink. Christ was in the oil press in the garden. He was struggling. He was human. Some of us don't think it's okay to be human, so we think we have to pretend like we have it all together. Jesus' decision was not made in a vacuum, was not made around a pristine boardroom or a table of high-ranking nobles. It was made just like our decisions are made in life in the oil press, right? We as Christians every day, we try to make decisions and all of our problems don't just go away while we try to make decisions. There's this pressure and this stress in life that as we try to make these decisions and we try to look to God, think about the verse that says, take up your cross daily and follow me, right? That's the oil press for the Christian that every day is a life of taking our cross in making a decision to set our faces towards God and follow Him. Jesus has been there. But Christ's decision was not made in strength, but it was made in weakness. It was not made in self-reliance, but in prayer. Not with a stiff upper lip or stoic emotionless, but with honesty and tears and blood drops. You see, Jesus was wrestling with God. Do you feel the freedom to wrestle with God? I'm not talking about wrestling with God like Jacob, selfishly hanging on to what he did not want to let go with. But I mean humbly wrestling with God and saying, God, why am I in this press? Why am I going through this hard time? You know, it's all right to ask God for a pass. You know, that's what Jesus was doing. I had a good friend that I worked with, Rob Cornelius, and Rob was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's, and man, I wanted him to get a pass. It's a horrible disease. Do you know it's all right to ask Christ for a pass? You ever ask God for a pass? You know that's not weak. That's not unchristian. To say, God, I, I need a pass. I, I can't do this. Jesus Father, can I have a pass? 
Is there another way? You see, it's okay to be human. It's okay to be weak and frail and struggling. What did Jesus want to pass from? Verse 36 says this, Specifically, remove this cup from me. What is this cup? Jeremiah 25 says it's the cup of God's wrath and God's fury. To eradicate wickedness and injustice. Luke's version of this passage says this, that right after Jesus asked God to remove the cup of suffering, this is Luke's account, and there an angel appeared to him, an angel from heaven to strengthen him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. R.C. Sproul would say that this is where God told Jesus, no pass, no other way, no audible. You're going to have to drink the cup, son. And Sproul says that because of this, that that's the reason that we see Christ as soon as the angel comes to strengthen him. That that's the news that he got. And it says that being in agony, he prayed even more earnestly, and sweat began to drop from his brow. Jesus would pray, not my will, Father, but yours be done. Jesus had made a covenant with the Father to drink the cup, the cup of God's suffering, the cup of God's wrath, the cup of forsakenness. Fanny Crosby's great hymn, I Am Thine, O Lord, one of the verses says this, Let my soul look up with a steadfast hope, and my will be lost in thine. Nancy Guthrie says this, Certainly this is worthy aspiration that we all desire to conform our will to God's that we would become indistinguishable from Him. Yet we often find our desires in conflict with His. When we said, Your will be done as a part of the Lord's prayers we gathered with the saints last Sunday. We meant it, or at least we wanted to mean it. But it was a vague notion at that point. Today we find ourselves a bit offended by what God seems to be requiring of us. His will, which requires self-denial, has come into conflict with our will that has been on self-preservation. We begin to wonder if it really is possible for our wills to be lost in His. And it goes on to say, it is at this point in the struggle to submit that we find comfort in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right, because what we fail to do in conforming our will 
to Christ. Jesus does in the garden. And he goes on to say, as we stumble and trip and stagger at times, failing to surrender like Jacob, despairing like Elijah, right, running from Jezebel, unmerciful like Jonah, we look to Christ in the garden and find hope, right? We find hope that Christ said, but not my will, but yours be done. Have you ever been in the oil press? Have you ever been there? Do you look to Christ? Do you hope in Christ or do you just try harder? Do you pretend that you have it all together? Or do you feel the freedom to just say, God, save me. I'm a great sinner. It says in verse 37 that Jesus came and He found His friends sleeping. And He said to Peter, Simon, are you really asleep? Right, Simon, I'm never going to leave you, Jesus. I'm never going to deny you, Jesus. Are you sleeping? One of my best friends, when I need you most, are you asleep? Have you ever been let down like that? Have you ever counted on someone with such confidence that when they failed you, you were just like, I don't know if I want to go on anymore. It's that scene in Braveheart. You remember the scene when William Wallace was on the battlefield and they betray him on the battlefield and he was fine with all the nobles betraying him. But when he ran the knight down and he unmasked him and it was Robert the Bruce, you remember he just laid on the field. He just laid back and he was done. His friend who was supposed to be there for him had betrayed him and I'm sure that's the way Christ felt. In his greatest hour in the oil press, about to drink the cup of God's wrath, he just asked his friends to be present with him. That's all he wanted, just be here with me. They're sleeping. All people, no matter how committed they are to you, are going to fail you. Your husband, your wife, your kids, your pastor. You know, sometimes we think unanswered prayers, God not answering our prayers, we think it means a lack of love. Sometimes we think that it means that God's not present with us. That God's not pleased with us. That God's not for us. If anyone ever deserved a yes to his request for a pass, it was Jesus, right? Never sinning, never disobeying, perfect in all of his ways on earth. He didn't get a pass. 
You see, church, at the heart of the Christian faith is a cross, suffering. As I was thinking about getting a pass, I was thinking about those 21 Coptic Christians that were beheaded on the beaches of Libya. I was thinking about their families back home praying and begging God for a pass, right? Didn't get a pass. They got an execution. But no past does not mean no glory. No past doesn't mean no joy, no happiness. I'm certain on that day there was some fear. I'm certain on that day there were probably even some doubts. Did you know it's okay to be human? You know it's okay to say, God, I'm struggling. I'm doubting. Would you rescue me? Jesus' unanswered prayer request that deserved to be answered was met with a resounding no pass so that our prayer for salvation our undeserving prayer for salvation might be met with a hallelujah. You know, as I thought about this, I, I thought, man, what, what does the health, wealth, prosperity gospel do with this passage? I mean, wh what do you do with this when you, you start telling people that if they've got it all together and you pray hard enough and you have enough faith and you believe hard enough that you're never going to struggle. And then you come to this passage, and this is Jesus saying, God, can I get a pass? What are you going to say? He didn't have enough faith? He didn't have enough faith to get a pass on the suffering? Church, as we move towards the resurrection and as we stumble towards heaven together, Let's keep our eyes on the cross. Let's keep our eyes in God's Word and read and know the Word. Let's keep our eyes on our Savior who's been through the oil press. Promises. Even if you get your head cut off on the beaches of Libya, you're going to get a hallelujah in the end. Isn't that good to know? In the end, Jesus promises a hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. God, where would we be without Christ? And God, thank you that you became like one of us, God. That you put yourself in flesh and blood and you walked through the oil press and you struggled through life and you hurt and you shared those struggles with us, God. You let us peer into the heart 
to the emotions and the mind of your struggles. And God, we're forever grateful. God, I pray that as we live life and as we move towards death, and God, we're all moving towards death, and God, that we would be reminded that unanswered prayers doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. God's not for us, that God's not present with us. God, I ask that your word would be so sealed into our hearts and minds that we would know our Savior. We would know his great love for us. And we would grow more and more confident as we move towards home. In Christ's name, amen. Would you, would you stand as we sing our song, our offering?